DW Living Planet with Sarah Stefan. This is lice. You see how they've eaten all the way into the skull? And you see the fin, it's all torn. This is a telltale sign usually of a farm salmon. As the majority of the uh, farm salmon, they are not a healthy fish. More than 50% of them carry some kind of malformation. It's uh, or not fully developed. It's a, it's a huge difference. So mixing the genes of this beautiful animal, the wild fish, strong, adapted to the river for thousands of years with a domesticated animal with terrible consequences for the wild fish. Hi there, welcome to Living Planet. I'm your host Sarah Steffen. And today we'll be finding out more about how salmon is farmed, its impact on the environment, and why the escape of thousands of salmon at an Icelandic fish farm has got many Icelanders and environmentalists worried. If you're struggling to put Iceland on the map, it's a Nordic island country between the North Atlantic and Arctic Oceans, close to Greenland. Its nature is absolutely stunning. I personally loved its scenery of volcanoes and waterfalls. Now, Iceland's population is fairly small, just under 400,000. But now, many people in this otherwise serene setting fear the region's wild salmon is being pushed out by its farmed counterpart. Offshore aquafarms are highly profitable, and industrially farmed salmon sells well. But could the DNA of wild salmon be irreversibly changed Say, because wild fish breed with farmed salmon? Jörn Breiholz and Michael Marek went to find out more in Iceland. Neil King has the story. Iceland's sparsely populated west fjords in the far northwest, about 500 kilometers from the capital Reykjavik. We're here at this uh, road in Westford and you know, a few meters from the road in the sea we have this location of probably 12 pants. John Kaldal is standing at the Fjord, looking down on 12 fish pens some 400 meters out in the sea. Kaldal works for the Icelandic Wildlife Fund, a non-governmental organization committed to protecting the environment and, above all, Iceland's sea and fish stock. The former journalist knows a lot about Icelandic salmon. In this small location, we have like probably 1.2 million salmon in this small area. That's 20 times more than the whole of the Icelandic wild population. From above, the large open circular fish pens look like pearls, strung together, swaying peacefully in the waves. Each is 200 meters in diameter. Above the surface, the enclosures look peaceful and calm. But below the surface, each enclosure holds 100,000 salmon in vast, close meshed plastic nets. The entire site is a gigantic undersea fish farm for a total of 1.2 million salmon, spanning just two kilometers. John Kaldal points out a pontoon in the middle of the facility with a container-like building on top. 
This is the automatic feeder, distributing industrially produced fish feed into the huge nets through plastic pipes. They put the juveniles into the net when they are maybe from 120 to 200 grams, and they keep them in the net for 18 months, one and a half a year. When they slaughter them, they're between six and eight kilos. So they feed them a lot during that time, and they grow so fast that some of them, you know, up to half of them are malformed because the skeleton cannot sustain this fast growing rate. Kaldal reaches into his pocket and pulls out his cell phone. He shows us photos of salmon swimming up a fish ladder captured by a camera trap just a few days ago. The first shows an adult wild salmon returning to the river where it was born to mate. The second shows an industrially farmed salmon swimming up the ladder. It escaped one of the fjord fish farms. The main thing is you can see it's long, a little bit both bit like a torpedo. Then the same day in, on this fish was pictured, the wild fish. The same day a farmed salmon came through the box and you can see how clearly different it is. It's much more stocky, the tail is all messed up, small, and this animal just doesn't look a healthy one. The wild salmon is a long, muscular fish, a predator with a strong, broad tail fin, which it needs to cover thousands of kilometers swimming through Iceland's rivers and the Atlantic. It also needs this strength to swim up the Icelandic rivers to return to its breeding grounds. The industrially farmed salmon in the second photo is completely different. Its tail fin is much smaller and not very pronounced. It has spent its entire life in captivity, first in a rearing station on land, then in one of the underwater nets in the fjord. It's a predatory fish that's never hunted. Fish feed used in aquacultures is a mixture of wheat, vegetable oils, beans, peas, soy, fish meal and fish oil. It is treated with preservatives, sometimes harmful chemicals, to make it keep longer. Such feed is also used in Iceland's aqua farms. The aim is to fatten up the salmon as fast as possible, so it can be slaughtered after just 18 months, with terrible consequences, says Kaldal. As the majority of the uh, farmed salmon, they are not a healthy fish. More than 50% of them carry some kind of malformation. It's uh, or not fully developed. It's a, it's a huge difference. So mixing the genes of this beautiful animal, the wild fish, strong, adapted to the river for thousands of years with a domesticated animal with terrible consequences for the wild fish. The pictures of the escaped farmed salmon caused quite a stir in Iceland. So much so that Icelandic pop icon Björk wrote a song against salmon farming, an industry that's worth hundreds of millions of euros. Icelanders now worry that the escaped salmon could be mating with wild salmon in Iceland's rivers. The farmed fish are of Norwegian origin. They have been specifically bred for mass consumption, and their genetic makeup is not suited for survival in Icelandic waters. Salmon farms have been artificially fertilizing and growing these fish in land hatcheries for years. 
Wild Icelandic male salmon, in contrast, fertilize up to 30,000 eggs laid by female salmon in Icelandic rivers. Once the young fish grow strong, they swim out into the Atlantic, where they feed on the abundance of fish. When they reach sexual maturity, the wild salmon return to spawn and fertilize eggs in the exact same river where they were once born. Kaldald says farmed and wild salmon are two completely different kinds of fish that should never produce offspring. You have an offspring that is not uh, adapted to living in the wild. It's similar as, as if you had like an offspring of a poodle and a wolf, it would not be able to live in the wild. And this is what happens with a fish. It's a domesticated animal, with domesticated genes but can still breed and mix with the wild animal. That's the terrible side of the salmon industry. Iceland is a Nordic country located in Europe's far northwest near Greenland. The island is known for its wild, otherworldly nature. Volcanoes, geysers, hot springs, waterfalls and abundant fish stocks. But now many Icelanders fear farmed salmon could mate with the region's wild salmon. The population of Iceland's wild salmon is said to be just 60,000 to 80,000 fish, while there are more than 23 million salmon in Iceland's aqua farms off the coast. Isafjöru is an old fishing town, a six-hour drive from Reykjavik in Iceland's far north. In Isafjöru's harbour, sailboats rock back and forth in the wind. Isafjöru is the West Fjord's capital, with a population of just 3,000 people. The remote town was once Iceland's shrimp fishing epicentre, and almost ten years ago, Arctic fish began farming salmon here in offshore pens. It's a Norwegian-majority Bergen-based company listed on the stock exchange. The recently photographed farmed salmon escaped from one of its pens. Arctic Fish Managing Director Daniel Jakobson can't say exactly how many of its fish escape from the pens. We are estimating there is a 2% uncertainty in the counting when the fish goes to sea. The estimation was somewhere between zero and 3,000 plus minutes, but clearly it's not zero. The worst-case scenario it could be 6,000, so, and the estimate was 0 to 6,000 in the beginning. Before taking charge of Arctic Fish's salmon farms, Jakobson served as Isafjöro's mayor. Arctic Fish is part of Movi, the largest salmon farming company in the world. Fifty years ago, the Norwegian company succeeded in artificially fertilizing salmon and breeding them in nets out in the sea. The Norwegians have been setting up fish farms in various different parts of the world, including Chile, the Faroe Islands, Ireland, Canada, Norway and Scotland. It's a lucrative business model. Market leader Movi produces around 100 million salmon each year. Jakobsen says Movi is investing millions of euros in northern Iceland to set up ultra-modern fish feeding, breeding and slaughtering facilities. The company is looking to significantly increase its salmon production. We have now fish in six fjords in the Westfjord. The production this year is about 15,000 tonnes of salmon. 
put the first salmon in sea in 2017. We have this amazing uh, high technology small facility in Tálknafjörður where in our valley we have hot water on one side and cold water on the other side and we can mix the temperatures in the tank as we want to have it and uh, put out about 5 million salmon each year now. The company wants to produce 5 million salmon per year in this new high-tech aquafarm alone. It has big plans for Iceland, but reports about escaped salmon threatening the wild salmon population are bad press and not in its interest. But how were the farmed salmon able to escape their enclosures in the first place? And how are they endangering wild salmon exactly? Jakobsen answers evasively, referring to the state-run Marine Research Institute, the government authority that issues Icelandic fishing licenses. I'm not a biologist, but that is what the Marine Research Institute tells us, that a single escape incident of 3,500 fish will not harm the wild salmon in Iceland. But that doesn't mean that it is okay. You know, our goal is to keep the fish in the pens, we have been doing it for 10 years now with good results. Not that we are proud, something that we are proud of. We know what happened. It was a lack of procedures. The risk involved in this in sea pens, but we have created a system then that if something like this happened, it should not be at the risk of the wild salmon. The company says there's no risk to wild salmon. It says it follows Icelandic laws and that an emergency system is in place in case something does go wrong. Jakobsen is keen to suggest Arctic fish has everything under control. But conservation groups disagree. They point out the sea lice problem affecting fish farms. This small 8 to 12 millimetres long parasite has spread massively in salmon enclosures, feeding off the fish's mucus, skin, muscles and blood. First of all, we fortunately have not had a lot of lice. And of course that will, I think, increase when the production goes up, that's for sure. Up until now, I'm not a biologist, so I don't want to tell you something that I don't know about. But we fortunately have had very few treatments on our fish and most of the generations are without treatments here because of the colds. We meet Elva Fjerriksen of the North Atlantic Salmon Fund on the banks of the river Langadalsa. The non-governmental organization is dedicated to the protection of Iceland's wild salmon population. There's a small fishing hut a few meters from the river surrounded by wilderness. Fjörigsen shows us a dozen dead salmon. This is lice. You see how they've eaten all the way into the skull? And you see the fin, it's all torn. This is a telltale sign usually of a farm salmon. And then you can see the tail. On a wild salmon, this tail would be about this big. It would be more pointy and it would be, I mean, made for swimming up fast water and natural rivers. But these all have torn tails and they're very small. You'll see all of these fish are about six to seven kilograms. They're all about 80 centimeters, and they all are Norway originated and all escape from the same pen. Fjörriksen says the dead salmon must have escaped from Arctic fish fish farms. 
the company flew in Norwegian divers to find and kill the escaped salmon to prevent it mating with Iceland's wild salmon. All the dead fish are covered in wounds. The wounds can be from a lot of things. The wounds can be from sea lice. The wounds can be from lacerations that happen to them in the pens because they're very crowded in the pens. Then those wounds get infected. These wounds can also be from after they escaped and are attacked by seal. Yeah, you can see, I mean, none of these fish are whole. And I think this one's a good example because you can see around the eye. This is sometimes referred to as a whitehead because the sea lice, they eat their way through the skin, through the mucus, so they're, they're into the skull, they're into the bone. Arctic fish would have probably sold the salmon as sustainable, organic fish to European and US supermarkets, something that Fjordiksen finds hard to stomach. Most of the farmed salmon caught here is in extremely poor condition, with wounds from sea lice infestations. Monocultures are always susceptible to parasites. Banana and coffee farms become infected with fungi, for example, and salmon farms suffer from sea lice infestations. However, Arctic fish claim sea lice aren't causing any big problems. I have always been a fisherman since I was just a little boy. I've been here first for maybe 15 years ago, so I know this river probably very, very well. And all the spots in the river I know, all the rocks. That's Sigurdur Tofsalts, who's responsible for the rural fishing hut. He looks after Icelanders and foreign tourists who come here to catch wild salmon. Getting a one-day fishing license costs 650 euros. Food, accommodation and flights are extra. With this license, you're allowed to catch and keep one wild salmon per day. Other salmon caught must be released. These strict quotas are in place because Iceland's wild salmon population is so small. It needs to be protected. Tofsalds worries that the wild salmon could disappear. We took a picture, then we have a wild salmon with form salmon, and they were pairing. That's terrible, because then the wild salmon maybe loses to go to the sea, and then maybe we will never see them again. Our wild salmon, so we have to stop it now. Torfsalz, scientists and conservationists are convinced that if farmed salmon continues to interbreed with Iceland's wild salmon, native salmon will lose its ability to survive in this environment. It might lose the strength to make its way through the Atlantic to the Icelandic rivers. A worrying scenario for thousands of Icelandic families who make a living selling fishing licenses and accommodating fishing tourists. The drastic decline in Iceland's wild salmon population would be an economic disaster. That's why Icelandic farmer Gudrun Sigurjonsdottir coordinates resistance efforts against the salmon industry. We are just afraid of those salmon who come from this sea farming if they go into our rivers because it is not the fish that our fishing man wants to catch. It's also this combination of this salmon to our salmon which you are afraid of. And our salmon is special. We have two big waterfalls in this river and our salmon is who has to be very strong to get a so we do not want any combination.
Is it possible to reach some sort of compromise between sustainable fishing tourism and the large-scale fish farming? Icelanders will have to decide. The government is planning to pass a new law in May 2024 to regulate industrial fish farming in its fjords. Neil King there with a report by Jörn Breiholz and Michael Marek. From the north all the way to the south, still on the water, let's talk about southern right whales. South Africa hosts the largest global breeding population of these endangered whales. And in one of the world's longest continuous studies, South Africa's Mammal Research Institute checks up on these whales along the Cape coastline. Every year since 1969, researchers charter a helicopter to photograph the breeding population of these whales to help ID and track the population. The survey was established to monitor the recovery of this population after the banning of whaling. Jennifer Collins has this report by Jason Boswell. From high up in a helicopter, marine researchers are monitoring hundreds of kilometres of South African coastline. They're on the lookout for southern right whales. Down below, they can see the vast turquoise ocean and sandy beaches. Then, finally, they spot the gentle giants which have just returned from the Antarctic. Some of these majestic sea animals, which grow up to 17 metres long, can be seen propelling their large black bodies out of the water and hitting the ocean surface with a huge splash. For more than 50 years now, researchers have carried out an annual survey of the whales off the Cape of South Africa. The researchers photograph and count the whales and assess their health. They're armed with high-end cameras and telephoto lenses, looking to photograph the whales and document the callosities on their head. The rough patches of skin appear white because they're covered with colonies of whale lice. The callosities produce a unique pattern on each whale, which can be analysed using computational modelling to identify individual animals. But capturing the images from a boarded chopper can be challenging, says the group's technical manager, Chris Wilkinson. We need to be directly overhead those whales. Uh, we need a shot straight down over the, over the top of their head um, to make sure we get a very good, clear callosity pattern. We can't have any waves or um, breaking over the head. Um, that is quite challenging, especially out of a helicopter that is moving around a lot, especially getting buffeted around in the wind. Later, back on land, 
Lead researcher Elsver Meelan explains why right whales can help us better understand our changing environment. See the right whales as the right sentinel to show us how climate change is affecting the Southern Ocean and Antarctic regions. And these whales basically come to our coast in South Africa with these messages of ecosystem changes. And therefore, we call them the right whale. The next day, we head to Walker Bay, some 150 kilometres from Cape Town. The beautiful bay is set against the dramatic Klein Riviera Mountains and its shallow waters are teeming with life. Along with the southern right whales, it's also a stopping point for humpback whales, recognisable by their white or grey underbellies, who arrive here with their calves on their annual migration up South Africa's eastern coast. Marine biologist Justin Blake explains why the area is under special protection. It's super important to have sanctuaries like that because these whales are spending a lot of energy to get all the way up to South Africa from Antarctica, giving birth, producing milk for their babies to get strong enough to head back down to Antarctica. And if this area is protected, this place where they're resting, then they don't have to use additional energy to move out of the way of ships or boats or, or other people around. And outside the protected season, there are lots of people on the water here. The area is popular with whale-watching tourists. Many of them crowded on the decks of ships cruising through the bay, smartphones and cameras at the ready, hoping to catch a glimpse of the gentle giants. South Africa has the largest population of southern right whales in the world. More than 6,500 pass through these waters every year. Thousands of tourists from all over the world visit the nearby town of Hermanus too. And all of that, of course, helps boost the local economy. Tour guide Jack Boys says tourism is a vital source of income here. Tourism has been growing in the area for you know the last 20 or 30 years quite, quite, quite extensively, but this has really put us in the front foot and um, even way ahead of some of the other smaller towns around the area. Um, and yeah, it's had a great, great impact. And financially, it sustains a massive, massive amount of people around our um, uh, direct area. The number of whales has rebounded since the 1976 ban on commercial whaling in the Southern Hemisphere. But researchers say the global population is still only about 20% of pre-industrial whaling levels. And while harpoons and whaling ships may be a thing of the past, the multi-decade study suggests that these days the southern right whales face a different threat. Rising global temperatures. Els from Milan again. Feeding grounds of the South African right whale population is south of South Africa in the Southern Ocean. And what we've seen there is a reduced um, sea ice conditions, and that means the reduced ability for krill to reproduce, which is their main pre-source. And this shows us how long-term monitoring is critical to see changes in, in whale populations, but also then related to the environmental conditions these whales depend upon. In this delicate ecosystem, changes that are taking place thousands of kilometres away are of vital importance to the whales and the people who live here. Jennifer Collins there with a report by Jason Boswell. And if you're looking for more podcasts to listen to, here's an idea. I'm Andreas Becker. I'm Nicholas Martin. This is the story of the biggest cannabis scam ever. This is the story of Juicy Fields. I've lost 20k. I had 350,000 euros in the account. And the scam might just continue. 
we have owners that sometimes like to be flashy, hence why they like cannabis and crypto. Money, money, green, you know, like everybody likes money. In this investigative podcast series, we entered a world that we never expected to find. It bears all the trademarks for Russian mafia. It's a fantasy. People want that the Russian is the very best. Stop fantasy. This is Cannabis Cowboys, a story about big dreams, juicy money, and never-ending hype. Find Cannabis Cowboys wherever you get your podcasts. That wraps up this week's show. Thanks for listening to DW's Living Planet. I'm your host, Sarah Steffen. For more of our content, check out dw.com slash livingplanet or find us wherever you get your podcasts. We're also on YouTube, DW Podcasts. The studio team was Wiebke Tegtmeier, Ziad Abu Sleiman and Jan Winkelmann. This episode was edited by Neil King. I'm Sarah Steffen. Bye for now.